The Polystory Repository is a live conversation with polyamorous people sharing their thoughts on trust, intimacy, and relationships with themselves and others. They navigate a conceptually non-monogamous life, and we want to share their experiences with you. These are our friends, and these are their stories. Hello, and welcome to another entry in the Poly Story Repository. Thanks very much for joining us. I am Joe. And I'm Tim. Today we're talking with Rachel C. She's a member of the Chicago Polyamory community, and we wanted to bring her on to talk about a whole bunch of things, her work life, her personal life, and just in general being an interesting person. So thank you, Rachel, for coming and joining us on an episode of the Poly Story Repository. Yeah, uh, it's great to do this. Thanks so much for setting it up. Happy to. So just to get started, you know, in the, in the usual kind of dopey podcasty way, your, um, maybe your age, your location, your orientation, how you perceive yourself, some pronouns? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I live in Chicago um, in my mid-20s, and uh, my pronouns, I prefer she and her, but I also think they and them are a great way to go, especially if you're not sure what someone's pronouns are. So I answer to those two. I identify as a non-binary woman. And so for me, that means that I was assigned female at birth. I moved through the world being recognized as a woman. And for the most part, I feel really comfortable with that. But I'm very uncomfortable with the notion of a binary gender system. So I also identify as non-binary. Awesome. So how did you discover poly or non-monogamy as a thing? Um, So for me, the story starts when I'm in college and I met my first boyfriend. We met very early on in college and pretty much right away we were in this monogamous relationship and we didn't really question that. But as the relationship progressed, we started looking for um, something else that made sense to us in terms of how to structure not just our relationship, but just how to be sexual erotic people together we started exploring Chicago's kink community and pretty quickly we learned once we got involved in that that you can't really be part of at least Chicago's scene without the presumption that you're non-monogamous. It really quickly became clear to us that what counted as sex and how you would define sex and how you define monogamy versus promiscuity was actually really fluid. We also met uh, several people who identified as poly and we were reading the blogs of some people who also identified as poly and blogged about being part of that lifestyle. So through kink, we became really familiar with polyamory and it just seemed super natural to us. We didn't necessarily have plans to stay together forever, but I think it was more that, you know, we liked each other a lot. Well, we were in love, but we were realistic about it. We had a lot that we wanted to accomplish with the future after college and knew that we probably would be moving around a lot and not necessarily always being physically together. And it seemed to make a lot of sense to want to explore relationships with other people without sacrificing the fact that we really cared for each other and wanted to still be in a relationship together. So when you were, I guess, coming out as polyamorous and your your boyfriend and you were exploring the, the options, was, was that a conversation? Was that a series of conversations? Was it something that you came to gradually? Well, I know for me personally, I first came to just the very notion of polyamory when I was reading um, the blog of a writer who I really admired. And when I first learned that she and her partner, whom she lived with at the time, were identifying as polyamorous, I thought, 
oh no, that's too bad. I, you know, I really liked them together. That must mean that their relationship is, you know, not, not significant or not as real. That was definitely my first reaction. And I know it's a reaction that I've heard a lot of people having to first learning about polyamory. But once I started to meet people in real life who were poly and started talking to my partner, it became increasingly obvious to me that it didn't mean our relationship would be less than uh, what it was before. Uh, it could be more than what it was before. Um, I mean, of course, there were some bumps in the road, but once we decided that polyamory made sense for us, it was kind of full speed ahead and we didn't look back or really question very much if it was the right choice. And I feel really good about that. Yeah. So, so what were the bumps? D dish yeah. on the bumps. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so um, I started dating someone else whom I met through the kink scene and uh, it was just me and that other person dating along with my relationship with my boyfriend and he, he wasn't dating anyone else. And that all worked out fine for us. He never experienced jealousy. Um, I think, well, actually I know that he really liked the fact that I was sleeping with someone else and enjoying my time with someone else. And I think he figured, you know, one day he'd meet someone too. And when it came time for that, when he did actually uh, come home, like it, really late, like two in the morning from a party and tell me, oh, I met someone. Um, it was kind of a shock to me. Like I, I knew in the abstract that it would be fine, but in practice, it was really hard to get over that initial feeling of like, you're having this very exciting and interesting experience without me that I'm not a part of at all. And I felt like crawling into bed at two in the morning and saying, oh, I met someone, I'll tell you about it later. was just like not enough information right off the bat. Uh, I really agonized the next day over who it was going to be and what he was going to tell me about her. And then when I finally, you know, got to know who she was, I was really impressed and really flattered that this other person who seemed really, really fantastic also was interested in my boyfriend. But I felt uh, simultaneously, you know, really proud of that, but also really anxious about whether our relationship would change and whether it would be possible for him to have a fulfilling relationship with her. And not just fulfilling for him, but fulfilling for her without my relationship with him changing. Uh, okay, so I would say the biggest road bump, it kind of all came to a head for me. Um, this one night, he had a date with her and he was going to have a sleepover at her place for the first time. And of course, in an abstract sense, I felt really supportive of that. But as the evening wore on, I had been spending some time with a group of friends of ours. We went out to a party and some of our friends... I guess, got into like a drunken fight that ended up culminating in this very wacky series of events at my apartment. And finally, uh, just, you know, I guess to summarize it, uh, this drunken fight happens. They all leave. I'm alone. I'm back in my apartment. And all I wanted was to talk to my boyfriend. I just couldn't believe that I couldn't reach him. Like I kept calling him. He wasn't picking up probably because he was, you know, having sex or asleep. And the fact that he was with someone else or that he could be having sex with someone else wasn't an issue for me. It was just the fact that I couldn't reach him and that I felt like I had just witnessed this like crazy crisis in our like core friend group and mm -hmm. didn't know what to make of it. Um, I couldn't sleep all night. I was really anxious. And I thought to myself, you know what, when he comes home in the morning, I'm going to tell him we can't do this anymore. Like I know it's going to mean I'm going to have to break up with my other partner, but we're just going to not be able to do this anymore because I can't live with that feeling of not being able to reach him. And sure, we could make a rule saying, 
oh, if you're going to go have a date or sleepover, you have to keep your phone on or something like that, or you have to be reachable, or I have to have her number. And I'm sure there are some people who like succeed at polyamory with that rule in place. But I figured if I had been able to reach him, then he would have come back over, he would have left his date. And the woman that he was with probably would have said, you know what, I don't want to give this polyamory thing a try. This is too complicated for me. Or this is like making me feel kind of underappreciated. I didn't want to make her feel that way, but I slept on it. And in the morning, things looked a lot different. And I was able to say, you know what, my emotions have calmed down. I got some sleep and I don't actually want to change things. And I've heard friends of mine at various times talk about having similar feelings or going through similar kind of crisis point experiences when they're just starting to dip their toes into polyamory. And I like to tell them that story and tell them that sometimes I think it's really valuable, or at least for me, it's been really valuable to sit with my feelings of discomfort and think, you know, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain right now, but it's going to be temporary. And it doesn't have to happen again. If I, if I want to change it next time, I can. I have that control. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's how like a lot of people, at least when the bumps first emerge, like one of the first explorations of poly, we, we think of it as like this multiple relationship thing, but what it actually is, is this exploration of the self mm-hmm. and how you manage Absolutely. your own feelings and how, so it, it's very interesting that like you're, one of your first experiences in that you were, you were directly kind of tossed into the fire of having to in, evaluate yourself like that. So just to run some background, uh, this was your first relationship with a partner's partner, otherwise known as a metamor. Yes. Uh, was, was it the same for that individual? Yes. Um, she did not identify as Polly. Uh, I think that she was kind of, or at least the way she presented to us, she was in between boyfriends and did really like my partner and wanted to be able to spend time with him and, uh, I know that part of me had this like lofty belief that she would also just realize, oh, polyamory is, you know, obviously the right choice and then want to do this with us also. But um, they eventually broke up because she met someone she wanted to be monogamous with. Hmm. Any follow-ups, Tim? (laughs) I was going to say, what do you got, Joe? Come on. (laughs) I mean, she was Uh, really nice about the whole thing, which I was really nervous about. I thought, you know, they're, how could this possibly not end up with it coming to a head between, you know, two women jealous of each other? Or how would we be able to like balance our time um, or balance our partner's time? Um, there were a lot of issues that I like could foresee coming up that really didn't. And I thought that was really cool. And probably one of the, one of the cooler moments about the whole thing was when the three of us went to a party together for the first time and were really open about the fact that the three of us were there um, you know, they're together and able to, to be intimate. You'd see my, my boyfriend kiss me, he'd kiss her, everybody saw that, and some people act a little scandalized, and I really actually kind of got a kick out of just <laughs> showing people, you know, there's a different way to live, and we're doing it, and, like, nobody's going to, like, tear their hair out at the end of the night, and, you know, one of us will go home alone, and it won't be an issue. Yeah, because we don't really have a lot of models with that societally. Like, mm-hmm when we think about well actually just in general like metamor relationships don't happen in monogamy or at least we don't think of other people's partners as being a thing so it, it sounded it sounds like from what you're saying that when you came in you you had these perhaps preconceptions of what that would look like a little bit and then as you met this person 
and they turned into a real person instead of an abstract that you really learned some things about how that would work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And just to what you were saying about how we maybe don't have like a metamorph like relationship in a traditional, you know, other traditional kinship units. I was thinking just when you said that about how maybe the closest thing to that would be like having in-laws, right? Like people mm -hmm. who you are kind of connected to and are kind of expected to love, but may or may not get along with. And then there's a lot of stories around the uh, possessiveness and jealousy and uh, difference of preferences and differences of opinion that could come up with these people that you're kind of like, in a sense, you might feel stuck with if you feel more negatively than positively about it. Um, and I think maybe that's where some of my preconceptions about the metamorph relationship came from was that it would be like that. And that, you know, definitely those types of conflicts could come up and they do sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Metamorphosis and loss is absolutely, I'm frantically scribbling. Give me just a second to recover. <laughs> no, that, that is, that is exactly the corollary I was looking for. Because that, that makes so much sense. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in this relationship with this person, and all these other people are now within that orbit. And it's something that I need to figure out for myself. It's something where feelings may get out of control, and I'll have to, like, manage them. It's something where I'll have to learn how to share. Like, that, that's, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. That's, that's brilliant. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I do have another example that's a little bit different um, and maybe like a little bit more like uh, juicy details also about it. But um, I was it really likes juicy details. I also. Okay. <laughs> it's all true. Well, I'll, I'll try not to be awkward telling this the story then. But I was very. <laughs> oh, we're going to miss some of the charm then. <laughs> <sighs> so I was very interested in this boy who lived on the same floor in the dorm uh, as my boyfriend and we are all in a kind of big group of friends together, partly because of convenience and because of geography, just that we all lived in the same building. And, um, so he in particular lived like across the hallway from my boyfriend. And one night a group of us were out studying. Cause like, that's what university of Chicago students do. They like go out for the night and study in like a new location. And like, that's our idea of having gone out that night. And we were studying and then we started G-chatting and I said, and this is my first time ever like doing something like this. I just said, we should go back to your room and hook up. Like we should do that. And he was really on board with that idea up until we're back in his dorm room, we're in his bed and it like occurs to him that my boyfriend's door is like right across the hallway from his and that you know, the big group of people we'd been studying with, which included my boyfriend, had just gotten home and that everybody was around. They weren't, you know, in the room with us, but like there was basically, you know, a couple of walls separating us and he just started freaking out about it. A couple now, of like, dormitory walls. Yeah, exactly. Right. So not even real walls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it wasn't overly dramatic. It was just like, okay, this is the end of that. Like, the, the charm was lost on him. And so like I had alluded to before, my college boyfriend really enjoyed the idea of me sleeping with other people. And so not only would he feel not jealous, he'd feel like actively, like I'm getting something out of this too, even if I'm not there. And that was just almost impossible to explain to other 20 something year old men in my college. 
Like no one understood that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there were there were times when let's see. So there's another occasion with a different friend of ours where we uh, started. I guess like he went home with me. We started making out and he kept like stopping me and like asking me to reassure him that my boyfriend wouldn't have a problem with it. And I just like had to keep like reassuring him of that. And then we just both realized, you know what, we shouldn't be doing this because this like script, this dialogue that we keep having to have like an interrupt kissing every few minutes, just clearly like this wasn't supposed to happen that way. And my perspective on it was, you know, we live together or not together, but like in the same, basically in the same area. Like, it will be easy to get together again. We can make plans when, you know, everyone's sober and it isn't 1 a.m. And it isn't like, you know, that feeling of a college hookup. And we can, like, talk about it and decide what makes the most sense for us. But it was college, so, like, not a ton of people took me up on that offer. But I do really appreciate that I think experiences like that got me really comfortable early on with the idea that, you know, yeah, sex is really exciting and sex with someone new can be very exciting, but you don't have to brush into things. If it's really worth it, I mean, hookups are great. Sometimes they're really worth it in and of themselves, but also there are times when if it's really worth it and if it's really going to be a positive experience, it can wait and it'll still be a really positive experience. And I'm glad that I got to take the time to explore that and, and not rush into so many so many sexual situations or so many relationships when I got into polyamory. I didn't get, have to rush into it, that I was able to just say, okay, I'm here. I'm available. If you're not, maybe you will be a year from now. Maybe not. Man, going back that, to that idea about self-discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I discovered I was not an asshole. <laughs> I'm not going to coerce people into sex. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and what a clear example of, you know, as, as poly people, we try to hold up the banner of, oh, we need to communicate. We need to be really clear about our communication. And it sounds like you just had that like right off the bat and ran. It's like, well, oh. Hmm? Uh, well, okay. Sorry to cut you off. I, no. I, to maybe like give myself a little less credit, I don't drink. And I think that that, especially being in college, like that was probably the big factor. It wasn't like an extra level of ability to communicate or emotional maturity, but just that I didn't have the handicap of like being drunk at parties with people and, or mm-hmm. able to read into like if someone seemed hesitant and seemed like they were coming up with an excuse and I'd be like, you know, whether or not your excuse is valid, your hesitation is valid. Let's like slow it down. So you said that you've talked to your mom about yes. poly things um so that meant you, you must have had a, a initial conversation with her about non-monogamy how'd, how'd yes. that go well it kind of starts with i don't necessarily recommend coming out to your parents as kinky and it wasn't entirely my intention to do that but through like a combination of snooping and a combination of me being kind of careless and then like a combination of me being 18 and kind of all over the place emotionally this was mm-hmm. a thing that my mother became aware of and was very unhappy about. And it was very hard for us to talk about it. We'd had almost no conversations about sex before or since. It's like not a comfortable topic Mm. for uh, my parents, at least for for me, maybe. I don't know if they talk about it, but with, with me, not a comfortable topic. So it was really hard for me to like kind of address her concerns around my sexuality and my 
lifestyle practices without being like, look, it's okay. Like I'm not even like doing the stuff you think I'm doing. Like I'm just doing these other things. It's actually really tame. And like going to like a BDSM club is actually really chill compared to going to a nightclub. And like, I'm not getting blackout drunk every Saturday night. So trade-offs, like I'm not feeling drugs. <laughs> like there are people in my dorm doing that, you know, like I felt like, you know what? I've been this like model child and I'm a little sexually deviant. Like it could be worse. But it was hard to kind of describe that. We actually stopped speaking for, a, you know, Dan Savage, the like very famous um, sex advice columnist and podcaster says that if you, you know, are in a situation where you want to come out to your family or you have come out to your family and they don't accept you, the power that you have in that situation is you can say, you know, I'm going to withhold our time. I'm going to withhold your ability to talk to your child um, if you're going to talk to me in a damaging way. So I took that advice and I kind of called my parents bluff and said, oh yeah, you, you're saying that you are not going to accept me unless I change. Well, I'm gone. Like you, you don't know how to reach me now. And I, that was really hard for me. I was like 19, 20 years old yeah. and like trying to figure out, okay, how do I make enough money to live if it comes down to like cutting my parents out of my life entirely? You know, how will I deal with school? Like there were a lot of factors, but thankfully I think like my my mother realized, you know, I don't want to, I don't want it to come to that. And like, we were able to reconcile, we were able to have some like gingerly done conversation, uh, assuage some of her concerns. And then after that, you know, with the non-monogamy thing, I think that the way that she described her feelings about it to me initially were that like, I don't want your life to be harder than other people's. Like, that sounds like a hard life. That sounds like a frustrating life. And like, you're not going to be understood or you're going to be persecuted. And I was like, yeah, well, it's starting here. So mm. thanks for that. <laughs> and then when I finally came out as queer, which I say finally, not because it was like something I was holding out on her, but it was something that took me a long time to come to and then feel comfortable to like, oh, am I queer enough to like claim queerness as an identity? And then like, mm -hmm. now I think that's silly. And I think everybody who's questioning whether or not they can claim their identity queer should absolutely claim it. But like, when I did eventually, anyway, when I eventually did come out to my mom about that, she was just like, okay, another thing, add it to the list. She was over it. <laughs> it was like, okay, great. Like, it, it all kind of flowed together after, I think, after a point where it was like, oh, okay, like, just another way that my daughter is different. Like, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> to put it in your words, it became a legible narrative. Yeah you know, there maybe comes a point when you're like, this is so out of left field. This is so beyond my frame of reference that I just can't even imagine what this looks like. So like, good luck with that. But like, so now we're in a place where I'm totally out about, you know, being non-monogamous and being queer and she knows Christopher and she knows David. And if, you know, there's a third person I want to introduce to her, like, I'll do that too. And it'll be okay. And that's really cool. Cause a lot of people don't have that. So yeah. even though it took some work, she's now been really cool about it. And my dad's cool about it too. He has not asked me a single question about it, but I think that's probably for the best. Although, you know, there are times when I think like, oh, I wish that, you know, maybe the people in my life were more curious about it because, you know, then I could take on that role of like educator and like kind of spread the gospel of how there are like more ways to live. Yeah. I, my coming up story is, mm -hmm. um, S somewhat 
similar to you in that you wanted you said that you wanted to take a role as an educator and you wanted people to take more of an interest and when i think when i came out to my family they didn't ask any questions and i, yeah. I joke sometimes that i'm gonna write a book and the book is called so long as you're happy because that's Aww. literally all they said to me but I, I stormed out of there being upset about it and it wasn't until i went back to community and they were like you know indifference is a win yeah that's that makes a lot of sense to me too even though i can relate to probably what you were feeling at the time. I think that like you end up, or at least in my experience, like winning over hearts and minds with polyamory comes not from like the big reveal, but from like the kind of like slog of showing people what's different and what works about your relationship. I, I would, I was just going to say Thanksgiving just happened a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Uh, did you go home for the holidays? Did you have any opportunities afforded to you to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there are people who don't. And I think that that's just such a huge travesty because, you know, statistically, like I just saw like uh, someone posted a meme about how statistically children who are um, trans or non-binary and don't have supportive parents are so much more likely to have mental health crises or commit suicide or attempt suicide um, when they don't have supportive parents than mm -hmm. people who do. And that just breaks my heart and, and it actually makes me feel pretty angry. So I'm very grateful that I have a supportive family who I can go home to. And I'm very angry that there are people I know and then plenty of people I don't who don't have that. And that just seems like so damaging and, and so hard for me to understand. But I did not go home. This was actually something that I had just thought of while you're asking the question that I think maybe is important to like my coming out narrative when it comes to my family is that sure. um, even though my parents definitely were not initially understanding of my menu of alternative lifestyle arrangements, they are really liberal and very non-traditional. They didn't have a wedding. Um, they lived together for, I think, seven years before they got married. And at the time that they did that, that was kind of scandalous. And uh, my mom's Jewish and my dad isn't. And that was a big deal for their family too. So oh, yeah. I was already raised in this environment where it was like, you know, it's okay if you don't want to have children. It's okay if you don't want to get married or if it takes you a really long time to do that. And, you know, it's okay if you don't want to come home for the holidays. Like we hope you'll come home sometime, but like, why not do it when the airfare is cheaper? Uh, so that's what I do. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think part of the reason that, they're able to be so welcoming to Christopher and to David is because they're not thinking like, okay, who's going to like wife up our daughter. I'm like, you know, what, what's like the end game here? Like, okay, we're on a timeline. Like we're only getting older. and like, we want a baby soon. You know, we want a grandkid. Um, like there's none of that, no pressure. So it was at this point in the conversation that we took a quick break. And this episode is actually split into two separate parts. We hope you come back and listen to the final entry, our conversation with Rachel C. on the Polysaur Repository. Check us out again soon, and thanks for listening.